in transit. I'm Peter McCarthy. Um, happy Christmas season to you. We're in a series called Advent, where we're going through the incarnation of Christ and just Christ's coming. And so we're looking at that this season. Um, we're in a four-week series, and I have the privilege of coming to you with the gift of joy today and, and just going through that from the book of Isaiah and seeing it in the New Testament. And uh, I think Jeff kind of always works it in then. When joy needs to be preached about, he just calls me. Uh, it's, my, it's, it's my favorite thing to talk about, really. Um, and I think it's essential to the Christian life. So anyways, let's, let's just pray and jump in here. Jesus, we need you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal Jesus to our hearts today. Jesus, thank you that you didn't, you didn't rescue us from your throne in heaven. Lord, you humbled yourself. God became a human, became a baby, was, was born to a single mom, a teenage mom. Lord, born in a manger, you, you completely humbled yourself, the God of the universe, and made yourself known to us. And I pray that that would just so stir our joy. God, that we would so see how loved we are. Lord, that, that today and, and the rest of, God, this, um, these couple weeks, the rest of this month, as we go through the holiday season, I pray that our hearts would be more enthralled with the gift of Jesus than any other gift we could receive or get or, or give, Lord, but that we would just be fixed on Jesus and that you would increase our joy in him. In Jesus' name, amen. So we take joy in lots of things, especially at Christmas time. I remember when I was five years old, um, I, I was like downstairs, my bunk beds were downstairs. I even think I fell off the top bunk that night and landed on a little rocking chair. So I had amnesia. I'm still suffering from that, actually. And I remember waking up at like 6, 7 a.m. and hearing a train, you know, one of those small trains. And I just knew it was the train that I wanted, you know, just going around the Christmas tree, puffing smoke and all that. And that was just such a fond memory for me. It's like my parents got me what I wanted, and it was just a special morning. There's lots of good memories at Christmas time. Um, <laughs> I joke that growing up, we would always, you know, wake each other up at 6 a.m., and, you know, I'd be like, hey, it's Christmas, punch, get out of bed, I want to go open my presents as soon as possible, right? Like, anyone else in a family like that, right, where everyone's like, Wait, I thought you were like, you usually sleep till 2 p.m., but somehow like on Christmas morning, this whole like, I need my gifts like right away kicks in. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm choking already. And um, so we would go downstairs, this is part of our tradition, and sing happy birthday to Jesus, right? But, but our hearts weren't really making him room. We, 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 were, we were thinking about the train around the Christmas tree, right? Like, mom's like, I'm hiding your gift. And like, in your, in your stockings, like a baby horse. I'm like, mom, that's not like very hidden. Um, you know, those types of things. But we'd like sing happy birthday to Jesus. And then 
carnage would happen for like eight hours. And so, anyways, we want to look at what the Bible says about the coming of Jesus in this season. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I mean, do you guys get like chills sometimes when you read that? We're very familiar with verse two. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. A little bit of context. Verse one gives it to us. What's going on here is Isaiah comes to King Ahaz and encourages him to trust God. Israel was being led by King Ahaz and he wasn't a very good king. Assyria had already defeated and taken the northern kingdom into exile. Now threatening to overtake the southern kingdom, God uses Isaiah to come to Ahaz and encourages him that despite the circumstances, he's called to trust God because he's the leader of God's people. Isaiah comes and he's foretelling that justice is on the way and that righteousness rule is on the way. So he comes and he's starting to prophesy that you are under God's people, you're under bad rulership, but there's coming a king that will rule righteously. There's coming a king that will rule justly. There's coming a king that will bring you peace. And so we, we long for wrongs to be righted. We long for righteous leaders, don't we? There is much joy to be had when there is a righteous leader present. It makes a total difference. So for 700 years, the Israelites had been exiled under bad leadership and seeking deliverance. And this is the context, the prophetic context for which Isaiah walks into. Verse 2, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. The people that saw a great light were in darkness. That's a human truth. There's no one ever that's seen light, the light of God, that has not been in darkness. When God comes and exposes his light, he's not exposing his light to people that are already in light because what other light really is there? Sometimes we think, oh, we're enlightened. We know the truth. We know the way. We live righteously. But without God making himself known to us, we have not yet seen righteousness. And so Isaiah is prophesying this for the people of God. Nobody that has seen light was not at some point in darkness. So then in the second part of this verse, it almost seems like he's saying the same thing. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. This is already the gospel. That Jesus is coming and they're passive. They didn't know where to look. The people of God in suffering, in exile, under bad leadership, Jesus comes to them and shines upon them, not waiting for their initiative, not waiting for them to do something. But he comes and he shines, and Isaiah is seeing this. He's hearing it from the voice of God and broadcasting it to the people. It's offering them hope. And it's offering them a chance to place their joy in Jesus. Before the light was made known to the world, the light existed in fullness. I want you guys to see this, that a great light has shone. This light didn't just come on when the people needed to see Jesus. Jesus was existing forever, and he was shining forever in his eternal state. He didn't become full when he became a human. He was full and humbled himself. So he is a great light that exposed himself to us. The fact that the light was shown on us was a great mercy that God gave to us. I love 1 John 1, 1 through 4. I'm just going to read this real quick. I think it jumps in and kind of helps us prepare for verse 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That's what I'm declaring today. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And this is First John, but John echoes Isaiah, really, in the book of John. You know, a light has come into the darkness. A light has shone. And so he's, he's leading us in that direction, that this is Jesus, and our joy is contingent upon seeing Jesus, and our joy is contingent upon the light shining on us. Verse three, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So it's as if, and remember, this is all prophetic. This hasn't necessarily happened yet, but Isaiah is prophesying, saying, look, 
God's going to increase your joy. And it's gonna be a joy as if you've taken over a new land and gathered all that's good. And so when, when Jesus shows up, Isaiah's prophesying that, look, there's gonna be much to be had, much to be gained. Our joy comes when we are exposed to the great light. And it foreshadows Jesus. It leaves me with questions like, which nation, a suffering nation, a wandering nation? How did you increase the nation? You made Jesus known. You didn't give them supreme power and stronger swords and stronger men. You gave them Jesus. You gave them yourself. What harvest are they rejoicing over? The harvest of joy that is had in having a righteous king. I think that's what they were expecting. What spoil is being divided? The bountiful riches of knowing the Redeemer. And so then we go to verses 4 and 5, and this is just all kind of leading us in our preparation to Jesus. Are you guys tracking with me? Is it getting kind of warm in here? Okay. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And so there's this picture. In essence, what Isaiah is foretelling for the suffering, oppressed people is there's a liberator coming. One that will liberate his people. And it's made clear in verse 6. For to us, a child is born. Time out. There's going to be a liberator. A child's born to you. It's like, all right? I don't feel very liberated by this child yet. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So breaking this down. Not that kind of breaking it down. I couldn't help it. I love breaking it down. What am I talking about? Like I'm on the subway breaking it down. And they're like, dude, just stop. Okay. To the people of earth, Middle Earth, okay, just earth. To the people in darkness, God's saying, to the people that I love, to the people that I will redeem, for to us a child is born, to the people that God's attentive to, to the people that God knows all about the oppression, to the people that God knows the circumstances. Is anyone kind of feeling that about their life? Maybe you're going through stuff where you can't really escape and all of a sudden this prophetic word comes that for to you, a son is born. For to you, a child has been born, a son is given. This is a gift you won't find under the tree. This is from the God of heaven, and his son is given. He's not just going to Walmart and pick out, picking out something that's in his budget. He's giving of himself. Think about giving of your son. And 
man, I think it's just, we receive great joy when we realize the lengths that people go to to give, right? It's like, oh, you got me a remote helicopter. Oh, I can't even go there because Larissa showed me this video where a kid ran a ferry into a fire. And anyways, you know, sometimes you're playing with your toy and then it breaks. And, and here's the thing, talking about joy, we, we get gifts and how long does our joy in that thing last? You know, thanks for the remote helicopter two weeks later, I'm bored. You know, just like that's what happens. But this kind of joy Substantial joy happens when our joy is in a substantial gift. And so when the eternal king makes himself known to people, our joy matches the character, the nature of the gift that we're taking joy in. So if you want your joy to last, don't place it on Christmas traditions. Don't place it on the joy that you find in temporary things, in buying, getting, giving. Sometimes we think, oh man, it's blessed to give. But I know some people where it's like their whole identity is on, I gotta be the one that gives the best gift. And you know what it does? It doesn't make room in your heart to realize that the best gift has already been given. And so what we're talking about here, what we're getting to, what we're going to continue to unfold is that the greatest gift has been given. And this Christmas season, our hearts, our eyes, our minds turn and rejoice upon him. And here's the thing. We don't have to initiate that. We just need the light to shine on our darkness and bring us into a context where we can see the light of Jesus. And you know what? Joy will happen. I used to think that, um, you know, in Nehemiah it says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I used to just kind of picture Jesus as like a fairy, like, I got some joy for you, oozing it out out of my toothpaste thing. You know, like joy was this substance that is just freely distributing. But you know what it really is, is if the joy of the Lord is your strength, then the joy that God has, when you're exposed to, to the fact that God is a joyful God, that God is a God that wants to bring people into relationship with him, that God is a God that has joy, that isn't mad at you, he's delighting in you, your joy rises and it gives you strength. Let me get back. So the government will be upon his shoulder. Often we think, all right, yeah, I could see that. You know, you got China, Sudan, North Korea, the U.S. And you've got this little, like, dollhouse on your shoulder where you're moving people in and out. You're like, Grover Cleveland in, Grover Cleveland out, Benjamin Harrison in, Benjamin Harrison out, Grover Cleveland's back in. If you guys know your U.S. history. Um, footnote, Wikipedia. Um <laughs> I'm like tracking my notes. I'm like, okay, Benjamin Harrison, right? Okay, yeah. Um, so, but we, we start to think, okay, this is a very political thing. Like what God's doing is he's taking the pieces of earth and he's like, I don't really like this, this, how this is winding out to be. I think I'm gonna put it on my shoulder and do some stuff. But I mean, <laughs> it's not like, you know, Ron Paul's all of a sudden the, supreme dictator of China. And you're like, what is going on? You know, like God's not actually worried about 
all the time moving pieces as though we wish they were moved. It's not like I want Ron Paul to be the dictator of China. That's goofy. Like, you know, what am I talking about? Pete, get back in line. Um, so, but we, we picture this thing as though what God's doing is he's operating inside our context. And that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about giving us a political ruler in our sphere of our kingdom terms. He's talking about the king that has the government on his shoulders. And you know what that government is? The kingdom of God, the kingdom that matters. He's coming in with a mantle saying, okay, you're distracted with being under oppression, my people. You're distracted with a bad king. You're distracted with wanting someone that, oh man, if if just Glenn Beck were in the White House and we had white picket fences and golden retrievers again, God, if you could just do that, get us back to the American dream. Oh, I can't go there? The Bible goes there. And he says, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about hopes and expectations of political parties in the earthly realm. We're talking about a king that has a mantle, that already has a kingdom, and he's coming to introduce to the world the kingdom that already exists and bring us into it and invite us into it. And I better watch out, man. That's... There's fire right there. And I'm like, (laughs) joy to the world. Pete's on fire. So what he's doing is introducing that our joy is not contingent upon circumstances going on in our world. He's not saying, oh, you're in oppression. Sorry, no joy for you. That's tough. He comes and makes himself known. And we get to know the nature of Jesus. Wonderful counselor, not oppressor. One that brings you in and says, how's your heart? Let me walk through this with you. It's like, wow, this, this God cares about my heart. This God cares about my life. This is his nature. He's mighty God. He's not a wimpy God. Yeah, he came as a baby in humility, but the power that he has outshines all power combined on the planet. He he could have called down angels to free him from the whole cross situation, but he didn't. He had the power, but his power wasn't seen in dictating the affairs of men necessarily, but rather in entering into them and laying down his life. And that began simply by humbling himself to become a human, to meet us on our turf, to meet us on our context. He could have said, hey, here's the law, be righteous. Maybe someday you'll be with me for eternity. He could have just done that. We didn't deserve him coming. There wasn't anything within us that merited his favor towards us. He decided, I'm the light, I'm shining onto the people that are in darkness. Jesus is the king of his kingdom, and this is how he rules. Verse 7, of the increase of his government, meaning his government's increasing, and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness 
from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Check this out. Our joy is contingent upon political competency. But the kingdom is a different dimension than we had expected. It's not political competency in this realm. It's competency of the king. His name is Jesus, and he's perfect. He will establish and uphold his rule. It's dependent upon him. This shows us the character of Christ, that upon his shoulders, he's going to carry all that's righteous. Just get on his shoulders. Allow him to give you a piggyback ride. Get close to Jesus. Get close to Jesus. He's going to carry it through. Come on. I know this Christmas season, you want joy. There's stuff in the way. There's burdens on your life that are in the way. And this is a call to say, there's a king carrying the mantle. He can carry you too. He can carry you. If you rely on him, if you lay on him, if you trust him, he's going to carry you. He's got this. He will uphold it with righteousness from now until forevermore. This isn't a term kind of political office. This is a forever political office. He's always been the king. He is the king. He will always be the king. If you want your joy to last forever, place it on someone that will last forever. His government, he's not coming to pick sides like we pick sides. He made that clear. The Pharisees were constantly asking him. People were constantly asking him, are you the one? Should we expect another? Hey, how come you don't line up to what we need? And he's saying, I don't think you know what you need. And then he points to himself because he's the one we need. He's setting up rule, which is a different dimension than we currently operate in. And so our prayer is your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not not what we want in America, not what we want in Alexandria, but what you want for America, what you want for Alexandria. And not just for the, the states and government and rules and regulations, but for hearts, for the law on hearts that people would observe and know that there's a true ruler, that there's a true king. And man, that is so freeing. When you say, I'm submitted, I didn't even have to vote. He made himself king, but he brought about the greatest joy I could ever have. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God is not doing things haphazardly or without emotion. I think this is important. God's not like, oh, you know, I think it would be wise if I just kind of introduced a new kingdom because they're jacking it up over there. They're in slavery for 700 years. So I'm going to make myself known to them. He's zealous. He's charged up. He's like Rudy. No, okay. <laughs> He's like, let me on that turf. I'm going to tackle someone. I'm going to leave it on the field. Jesus is the ultimate one that left it on the field. So, the question is, does our joy align with Jesus' joy and laying down his life for us and coming to be with us. Matthew 4, 12 through 17 says this, and it echoes much of what we've already read. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, 
He withdrew into Galilee. This is Jesus. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, that which we just read, might be fulfilled. And it starts to quote verse 1. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them light has dawned. Comes in and he quotes, the light has dawned. You're probably thinking, I don't see it. Do you? And verse 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If the kingdom of heaven is at hand, then the king of heaven is at hand. And so he's not just coming to say, Okay, there's a new world order. I want you to observe some moral laws. Love your neighbor as yourself. New kingdom, new king. And we're part of the kingdom by loving the king. That's, that's how this goes. It's not a, okay, I'll vote for you, pay my dues, just leave me alone. No, we're part of the kingdom when we love the king because he's a good ruler. The kingdom of heaven is at hand because the king of heaven is at hand. We don't look to anything else or anywhere else. Joy is received when you believe and treasure the reality that Jesus is king. There is joy to be had. Let every heart prepare him room. There wasn't room for him at the inns. You know, this is kind of a cool prophetic picture. There wasn't room for him in the places where you would expect for there to be room for the tidy places. He went to a manger and you know where he makes room? In hearts where it's messy, where it's smelly, where it's yucky. And he makes room in the hearts of people that have messy lives. It's like, man, we got sheep in here and cows in here. We got Jesus in here. Anyone else have a heart like that? Kind of like a manger where you're like, man, there's all sorts of junk going on. But I'm thankful that Jesus is with me, that he knows me, that he's captured my heart. Joy is the evidence that you are rightfully seeing the measure of Jesus' worth. What I mean is, Jesus is infinitely worthy. And if you start to just look upon him, the light shines on you, you're like, wow. The more you see him, the more your joy rises. So, do I need to explain that more? The more you see him, the more your joy rises because there's so much more you could discover about him. There's so much more you could see of his beauty and somehow our hearts rise to the level of how much we see him and we begin to adore him and take joy in him. There's a great transfer here because he's the wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. Our political hope can shift. There's a king that's here, that's established a kingdom, and it's contingent upon him. So we're not hoping that the men of earth will rule righteously and perfectly. Be nice, but our hope, our joy is not contingent upon it, ever. Jesus makes that 
clear. Our hope can shift. We're not hoping for someone else to come. We're not hoping for another Messiah. Shall we, shall we wait for someone else? Or are you the one? Our hope can be fulfilled today. Our security can shift. I'm saying these things because for the people in that time, when Jesus showed up as king and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. And I think today, still, we don't get it. Like, we're still waiting. We're still placing our hope in all sorts of things. I'm not just talking about politics, but people, spouses, loved ones. Can you rule righteously? And people will only rule righteously if they're submitted to the righteousness of Jesus. But ultimately, for each individual, we're responsible for saying, you alone are the one that rules righteously. And we're trusting you and following you. And our joy, our hope is placed in you and you alone. Isn't this a great Christmas sermon? Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Because, man, I've said this before, but I work like right at Tyson's Mall. There's a bridge from my office to the mall. Man, that food court is delicious. Um, There's so much stuff in there. But, you know... At this season, people are just all about, where's my joy? Where's my joy? Maybe it's this. Maybe it's, oh, Gucci has my joy. You know, and it's like, it's like, and then they get home, man, I'm broke. I'm joyless. It's like, darn, man, Jesus is consistent, man. You can put your joy in him and it will last because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you know what repent means? Turn. Stop serving other kingdoms. Man, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Be respectful. Love your country. Love your people. Love your city. Love your leaders. Pray for your leaders. Enjoy your leaders. But repent and honor the true king and know the true king. Love the true king. I'm telling you, man, your joy will become full when you do that. We're almost done. Is everyone doing okay? We hanging in there? Okay, cool. Like for everyone on the audio recording, never mind. Like, I forget. Luke 17, 20 through 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't get it. It's like the king... When the king comes, the kingdom comes. They're they're related. The the kingdom is the outflow of the king's rule. And so this is an insult. Where's the king? You're not the king. It's like, okay. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed not taking a ballot. He's not showing up on a stallion. You know. I'm a stallion, baby! You know, from Donkey on Shrek, anyways. <laughs> Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Again, Jesus saying, you're looking for this kingdom, going here, you're going there, and you're overlooking the king. You're overlooking the king. There is no kingdom without the true king. 
And he says, the kingdom of God's in the midst of you because the king of God, God himself is in the midst of you. Because Jesus is present, our joy can be present. Where Jesus is, there our joy can be. We are united with Jesus as we believe in him. So we need to diligently find our joy. Matthew 13, 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. I don't, kind of like the light shining in the darkness, I don't think he was expecting to find this. But he found it and covered it up. Then his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And evidence that you have placed joy in Jesus, that you've seen the coming king, that you've seen that beyond the manger scene, there's this king humbling himself to make himself known to you. That the joy to the world has come. When you begin to realize that and appreciate that and see the king and love the king and take joy in the king, it starts to decrease all the other joys you had. The stuff I had, its value is just not as good as what I have in the king. And so what that leads to in our hearts is saying, because Jesus is taking more residency up in here, all this other stuff has got to go. So an evidence of having joy in the king is having diminishing joy in other things, worldly things, Christmas traditions. I'm not saying don't do your Christmas traditions, but come on. If you're yelling at your kids because they didn't sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing correctly, then we've got issues here, right? It's like, man, Jesus loves the little children. Don't make me sing that. I'm like, I'm, I'm 24 and I'm still singing that. They're like, Pete, you're short. I'm like, man, Jesus loves the little children. All the little children of the world. Have joy in Jesus because he's the best gift. When you wake up, when you get your kids up, dads lead your children. All right, I know you're going to be like ecstatic for eight hours over this stuff made in China. But before we do that, before we rot our teeth out, maybe that was just me, I'm sorry. sorry. Man, I always ate my candy like right away, you know. Before we do that, we're focusing our joy on the true king that's made himself known to us. The best gifts already been given. And so as Christians, we at Christmas time, need to always bring ourselves back there. The best gift's already been given. Just remember that. One takeaway for today. The best gift has been given, and your joy should be the evidence of that reality. That's a truth. And so your joy could go there or not. Have joy in Jesus because he lasts longer than remote helicopters and iPhone 6s. I can't contextualize it more than that. (laughs) Really can't. Humility, the requirements for joy. He didn't come, I'm sorry, like Mitt Romney with perfect teeth, a red tie, and a large chin. He didn't come as a ruler. He came as a babe. 
We're not looking for a political leader that looks awesome. We're looking for... (laughs) We're looking for him because he made himself known in a very humble way and he is the king and he is ruling and he will rule. His humility requires us to be humble to receive him. Because he introduced himself in humility, the only way we even recognize him or receive him or actually have him in our hearts is by saying, I'm not the greatest. I don't have the greatest. I need the greatest. Jesus, you're humble and you're great. I pray that you would come and take residence in my life. And we become humble when we realize that our leader entered into our context to make himself known to us. Again, it wasn't just on his throne. Iron scepter, I'm the best. Come adore me. Our come let us adore him is because he was born to a teenager, which, by the way, was probably really looked down upon at the time, a single mom back then. And that's the way he introduced himself. I mean, you really have to have humility to see him and know him and love him. And it humbles us when we see the humility that he showed us. That's the only way it happens is by being so humbled by the fact that the God of heaven would make himself known in this way to us. And finally, joy will happen when we see that the father had great joy in sending his son, his only son, to deliver his people. He didn't have to do that. It was the joy of the father to give of his perfect righteous son. And they were fellowshipping. Hey, you want to go fellowship? Got like some chips and salsa. Like, yeah. And he sent his son so that we might be grafted into the family. That's what Christmas is all about. The incarnation of Jesus, that the family wouldn't just be on in heaven, but also on earth. That we might be part of something more. Joy isn't just a gift. It's a byproduct of enjoying the greatest gift. It's my definition of joy. Joy isn't just a gift. It's a byproduct of of enjoying the greatest gift. We prepare him room. We prepare room for him in our hearts. Joy to the world. Let's pray. Jesus, there's no one greater than you. And I guess my hope is that for myself and everyone here, that this Christmas season, Lord, you would grow in prominence in our lives, not be shrunk back in our lives. Because the actuality of your prominence is is great, but we don't always receive you as great. Sometimes we receive Christmas season, traditions, consumerism more than you. And I just pray that, Lord, we would see you as great. Lord, a humble, giving God that increases our joy. 
Lord, that we'd find joy in the fact that you're a conquering God, that you're the one that comes, delivers us, that you're the one that in humility gives yourself to us. And so we receive you. Lord, that would be explicitly Christian, to receive the humble, self-giving Jesus. We need you. We want you. We pray that this Christmas season, we would delight in you and that our greatest joy would be in you. In Jesus' name.